Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on Child Road of Little Venice, W9. Three streets southwest of Timothy Cotter, the 16-year-old killer convicted by his own mother. Two streets west of the scattered remains of Hannah Brown. One street north of the suitcase stuffed with Marta Ligman's body. And a few miles downstream of the torso and legs that no one could identify. Coming soon to Murder Mile. At the back of the Grand Union Canal sits Charfield Court, a seven-story housing estate from the 1970s. Constructed of 105 unimaginatively identical flats made of glass and concrete, it's possible that it was built as a police initiative to cut crime by making it impossible for any burglar to recall which flat was theirs. Demolished during the 1960s slum clearances, on this spot, at the corner of Formosa Road, once stood Two Shireland Road, a three-story Victorian lodging house into which a quiet, inoffensive man called Dennis moved in. Missing some much-needed love in his life, he had fallen for Kathleen. A girl with no home, no life, and what he saw was no future. But desperate to save her from a fate worse than death, what she needed saving from was him. My name is Michael, I'm your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 221, The Saviour. Few who knew him ever thought that Dennis was the type of man to commit a murder. Born in the Irish city of Cork, On the 12th of October 1922, Dennis Wilfred Barrett was one of six siblings to two hard-working parents from a respectable family. Raised as Roman Catholic, although a little quiet and a little shy, he was a good boy who got on well with everyone, whether sinners or saints. Aged eight, his father died, leaving his mother a widow. And although this broken-hearted family struggled on in the grip of the Great Depression, together they got through it. As an ordinary boy, he was scruffy, a little uncouth, but undeniably loving and thoughtful. He would blossom into a tall, powerfully built Irishman, with hands like shovels, legs like ham hocks, and a heart as big as an ox whose pale face and red cheeks were decorated with a natty little moustache. And keen to see the world, and to do his mother proud, aged just 16, he enlisted in the Royal Navy. 
trained at the naval school in Sheerness. He suited being a sailor, as whether he was chatting to a captain or a cleaner. He always made friends with the flotsam and jetsam of the streets. Beginning his career as a boy, on the 21st of November 1939, he set sail on the Royal Navy cruiser HMS Drake. For this boy from Cork, his new life was exciting and dangerous. And qualifying as an electrician, across his career, he rose from a lowly boy to an ordinary seaman, all the way up to a leading torpedo operator. Only like many young boys who had signed up to fight, his teenage years would take a tragic turn. In February 1940, he was transferred onto HMS Hermes, a 600-foot aircraft carrier with 566 crew. Fitted with 20 fighter aircraft, 3-inch armor, and 6 5.5-inch guns, it hunted down German blockade runners off the coast of France before progressing to the Persian and East African campaigns. But in April 1942, whilst preparing for Operation Ironclad, the British invasion of Madagascar, as HMS Hermes birthed in Trincomalee in western Sri Lanka, with repairs underway, the stores being resupplied, and their fighter aircraft assigned elsewhere on another mission, they received a warning. Spotted by an enemy scout plane, a sortie of Japanese warships were steaming their way, hell-bent on destroying them. Caught off guard, HMS Hermes was a sitting duck. But with no time to rearm its guns, its 11,000-ton bulk limited to a maximum speed of 25 knots, and its air cover of an RAF squadron of just six Farley Fulmer fighters being too far away, of which they would be outmanned by the impending swarm of 85 HED-3A dive bombers and nine Mitsubishi Zero fighters. Only at sea would they stand a chance. Being left open and exposed as this wave of firepower later headed north, destroying the Athelstan, the Hollyhock, the SS British Sergeant oil tanker, the SS Norvican, and their escorts. By the time that the British fighters were seen overhead, HMS Hermes was sunk. Of its 566 crew, 307 men were lost. Trapped inside its steel hull, some men were ripped apart by the blast, some burned to death as fuel ignited, some drowned as the ship quickly sank. And on that day, the 9th of April 1942, many died a terrible death. Somehow, Dennis survived the explosion. And as he swam as hard as he could, as the sinking ship pulled many survivors under, as it sunk, taking his friends to a watery grave, this 20-year-old was left clutching to an upturned life raft, burning and bleeding in a vast expanse of oil slicks and dead bodies. Many men died a horrible death a day. But it would be worse for those who survived. As across the next five hours, as he swam through a sea of steam, corpses and fiery waves, Dennis watched in horror as his pals' dissected limbs were picked up by fish. Swirling sharks sought a free feast of human flesh. And unwilling to take any prisoners... Those who hadn't drowned 
were machine gunned from the air. Along with many survivors, Dennis was picked up by the hospital ship Vita. Only his nightmare had just begun. With this being war, he was given no time to grieve or to get over his trauma. As being told to buck up or get out. The very next day, he was assigned to the crew of HMS Drake, a heavily armoured monitor ship. But that experience had changed Dennis. Gone was the quiet burly man, replaced by a terrified boy whose nights were spent gripped with sweats, terrors and horrifying dreams of a swirling Red Sea. No longer the seaman he once was, he was bounced from HMS Drake to HMS Defiance to HMS Drake IV. But by August 1973, owing to what they described as his peculiar behaviour, he was put ashore. Posted to the Mediterranean island of Sicily, Dennis wasn't there for rest and recuperation. As assigned to LST-45, a landing ship tank. With a rifle in hand, his superiors sent him from one horror to another as part of the invasion of Sicily. Codenamed Operation Husky, it was one of the most brutal land battles of World War II into which Dennis fought a series of street battles as the walls ran red with blood. After six weeks, the Allies had stolen this strategically vital island from fascist Italy and Nazi Germany. But the day that Sicily was won, being physically and mentally spent, Dennis broke down. With an officer spotting his strange behaviour, Dennis was sent to B-Base Psychiatric Centre at the 54th General Hospital. Described as self-absorbed and emotionally dull, when they examined him, they found two scars, where in the last two weeks he had attempted to stab himself in the heart. Recommended for return to the UK for further observation. Dennis was shipped back to England and admitted to Barrow Gurney Naval Hospital in Bristol, where he said he heard voices, saw visions, and his movements and thought processes were so slow that at times doctors stated he was like a statue. Believing that he was suffering from possible schizophrenia rather than the trauma of war, deemed unfit for naval service. On the 9th of February 1944, he was discharged and given half of his military pension. Released from hospital on the 10th of March 1944, he returned to Cork and to his family. As a qualified electrician, he got his union papers and he coped with his trauma by working regular hours and making a good living. Given his history, it's remarkable that Dennis didn't go off the rails. But then again, he was never bad or mad. He was just shy and quiet. Sometimes described as a little distant, he was never violent, he didn't have a criminal record, and apart from frequent bouts of depression, he was doing well. One of the reasons, it is said, was that he had found love. How they met was never divulged, but being the daughter of a fellow electrician, it's likely that Dennis met Elizabeth Millard, known as Bette, 
at one of the businesses in Cork he either worked at or for. As a small-featured, petite blonde, with a sweet smile and quirky mannerisms, being smitten from day one, he quickly married her, and both moving to Gillingham in Kent, they married on the 2nd of January 1946. Life was good. He was married, employed, and they soon had two children, Ingrid, age three, and Noel, age two, and kept busy as an electrician at the Royal Victoria Docks. Soon the horrors of his past were fading. And yet the good times came to an end, as Dennis's trauma crept back. In February 1946, he was sacked from the dockyard as his workmanship wasn't up to standard. A few short-term jobs followed, but he was discharged owing to bad timekeeping. And in January 1949, with their marriage in tatters as he sunk deeper into despair, his beloved Bet moved back to Cork, taking their kids. Separating amicably in June 1949, although he struggled to retain his job as a kitchen porter in London, he tried his best to pay her £3 a week as agreed. But only able to give her £1, their relationship soon soured. On the 18th of September 1949, 27-year-old Dennis moved into a small bed-sitting room on the first floor of Two Shyland Road in Maida Vale. Working nights as a kitchen porter at J. Lyons & Co. in Marble Arch, the landlady, Mrs. Herta Putzdier, would say that he was quiet and kept to himself. He never made a mess. And as a devoted father, who spoke lovingly of his wife. He sent what he could back to his family in Ireland. Only his shy ways and statue-like stillness not only hid his trauma, but also a deep pain in his heart. Often sat alone, as he stared at the bare walls, he began to drink. At night, when the terror returned and the sight of burning bodies haunted his dreams, he had no one to cuddle him to sleep. And as those dark thoughts forever loomed, he even told his brother Edward, I often think of falling in front of tube trains. Dennis was done. As in his diary, he would scrawl, Our anniversary bet. This is all for you. In another entry, he would leave his worldly goods to his loved ones. And in a third, he wrote, My love is always to bet. With nothing left, no one would come to Dennis's rescue. But it was then that he found Kathleen. Born on the 28th of September 1930, in the Hertfordshire town of Bushy, Kathleen Mary Rossum had lived with her mother Kathleen and her stepfather John since her father's death when she was only three. Raised with her brother at five, Bushy Hall Farm Cottages. She was described as a healthy girl who was never in trouble. Since leaving school, she'd worked at a printing factory. She'd done a bit for king and country, having joined the land army. She had just started work at a biscuit factory in Watford. And although a steady girl who liked her home life but didn't go out much, on the morning of the 17th of September 1949, for no known reason whatsoever, 
this 19-year-old girl vanished from her home. Three weeks later, she would be dead. On Tuesday the 4th of October, Dennis met Kathleen. We know this as he wrote it in his diary. Met Kathleen. At roughly midnight, on Randolph Avenue in Maida Vale, just two streets from his lodging, the two got chatting. Whether he was looking for a prostitute is unknown. But she said that she was on the game and that her price was one pound. Instantly, he liked her. As although just 19 years old, it was who she reminded him of which attracted him most. As being a small-featured, petite blonde, with a sweet smile and quirky mannerisms, he'd later tell the prison psychiatrist, the resemblance between my wife and Kathleen was remarkable. And although Bent was out of his life, she was never out of his thoughts. That night, having had a delightful walk in Paddington Park, Dennis would admit, I told her I didn't have much money. She asked me if I could take her to my lodgings. I said I could. And at about 1am, we got back to Two Shyland Road. She stayed the night with me in my room, and she did not ask for me to pay her. Maybe she forgot. Maybe she pitied him. Or maybe, being homeless, she needed a place to stay. Either way, although brief, their relationship was caring and friendly. As Kathleen saw a softness within this burly man. And within her, he saw the woman he had always loved, but could no longer be with. Dennis would state, We left my room about 2pm on the Wednesday, and we went and had a drink. And then I took her to a chemist in Kilburn High Road to have her eye seen to. Sporting a sore, but fading black eye, possibly at the hands of a punter who wasn't as gentle and caring as Dennis. I bought her an eye shade. I then took her up Edgware Road and we had a good feed and we went to the pitchers. After that we went to a couple of pubs. She told me she had to go and see a pal and I promised to meet her about midnight in a pub on the Clifton Road. In his diary, he would write of that night. She went to see her friend, and she never returned. Stayed out until 2am to try and find her. Impossible. And being desperate to see her, over the next two days, of Thursday the 6th and Friday the 7th, he wrote just three words in his diary. Searching for her and nothing more. Knowing her for just four days, it wasn't until the fifth day that Dennis tried to save her. Ironically, from a fate worse than death. It's uncertain how many hours he waited and how many streets he searched. But on Saturday the 8th of October, he found her. We know that, as he wrote it in his diary. Found her, Saturday night, 9pm. Being on Clifton Road, one of her usual patches. Although she was getting off and fixing a business, she agreed to go out with me. It was like it was before as they strolled hand-in-hand hand through Hyde Park and went to a cafe for a cup of tea. 
her being a petite little thing in a bright yellow dress like a canary, and him in a dark blue suit like a cat. Their time together was only brief, but as Dennis would state, during this time I had known Kathleen, I'd become somewhat attached to her, and I'd suggested to her that she come off the game. She was only young, she was only little, and she had her whole life ahead of her. I urged her to give it up, he told the prison psychiatrist. I thought of her future and her life as a prostitute. Disease, alcoholism, degradation and danger. But she refused to. So it's kind of ironic that, having wanted to save her from a life so shameful, at roughly 1am they returned to his lodgings and had sex. The house was quiet, and with the rules being no guests allowed, they did the dirty, silently. A short while afterwards, as they lay in his bed, the drab chintz curtains closed and the door locked, curled up together in each other's arms. I kissed her, and then she went off to sleep. I lay there, thinking of different things. I felt pity for the girl, and I realized what would become of her if she continued her way of life. I knew I couldn't have her living with me. And then I thought of my wife. Whether this is true, only he would know. But suddenly, his mood changed. In one retelling, they were both awake. She didn't want to come off the game, so I thought it would be better if she was out of it altogether. I suddenly took hold of her throat with my hand, and she struggled. We fell off the bed together, and I had hold of her throat all the time, until she was dead. In another, he awoke and found himself in a fit of anger. The next thing I can recall, I was on the floor. I asked the girl, what were we doing? She did not answer. I cannot say for certain, but I believe my hands were at her throat. I shook her. I felt her heart and her pulse, but her face was blue. She was dead. Asked in court, did you intend to harm this girl? Dennis replied, no, I only intended to help her. In a fit of panic, I tried to put her in the cupboard, but couldn't. As although she was only small, the girl didn't fit. So I put her back on the bed and covered her up with bedclothes. As if by making a corpse more comfortable, that maybe God would forgive him. For many hours, there she lay. Several times, I knelt down and prayed. And when the morning came, I left the house. In his diary, Dennis wrote, Sunday the 9th of October, 2.30am. Kathleen died. Far from being a crazed killer, it was what happened next which best summed up Dennis. As feeling terrible, not just having taken a girl's life, but having broken the house rules. I went downstairs and spoke to the landlady and told her I was sorry. I had broken her rules by bringing a girl into my room. It's unlikely he had a plan of what to do, as for the next few hours he would wander the streets in a daze, and keen not to be discovered, 
I told her, I'm going out for 10 minutes to get a taxi, and then we're leaving. Don't go into the room, and don't disturb the lady as she's undressing, which she agreed to do. By 4pm, although usually placid, Dennis was fit to burst with emotion. Visiting his brother Edward, he knew he had no choice but to admit the truth, stating, I want to tell you something. I've done a girl in. His brother didn't believe him. Who would? So giving him his diary, Dennis told him everything. At 11.30pm, Dennis phoned Scotland Yard and is directed he returned to Shireland Road. But by then it was too late, as Kathleen had already been found. As Dennis approached his lodgings, Inspector Sercombe and Chief Inspector Burkill exited. Are you Dennis Barrett? Yes, I shan't run away. I've got a long story to tell you, and it starts with my wife. Found at 4pm by the landlady, the crime scene was remarkably ordinary. The victim's clothes were on the armchair, suggesting that she'd undressed herself. Her handbag lay undisturbed, implying that she hadn't been robbed and a small black suitcase full of her personal possessions gave the impression of a lost girl with nowhere to go. Her injuries were as equally unremarkable. An old bruise to her left eye, which Dennis insisted I had nothing to do with, and abrasions to her neck matching his fingers as he had strangled her to death. Giving a full and frank statement to the detectives at Harrow Road Police Station. Knowing he had heard so many, the last thing Dennis wrote in his diary was this. Dear Mum, please forgive me. Dennis. Received at Brixton Prison. Dennis was assessed by the prison psychiatrist and told a story of the life of an ordinary boy. A little shy and a little quiet, who had done his bit to serve his country and to make his mother proud, but amidst a sea of blood and fire, had witnessed some unspeakable horrors. But mostly, he spoke of the wife he had loved, had lost and hoped that one day to rekindle his love with. Admitting to bouts of depression, but nothing more, Dennis was declared fit to stand trial. Tried at the Old Bailey on the 24th and 25th of November 1949. Against their advice, he refused to allow his solicitors to use the defence of insanity, as he felt he was sane even though if the unmistakable evidence were to find him guilty, that would have guaranteed he'd be sentenced to death. With Dr. Roland Hill of the West End Hospital for Nervous Diseases, stating he was suffering from a form of schizophrenia, the decision was no longer his, and pleading not guilty. It was ruled at the time of the murder that by reason of a defect of reason, He was not responsible for what he'd done. Retiring for 30 minutes, the jury returned with a verdict, and Mr Justice Castles declared that Dennis Barrett was guilty of murder by insanity. Later detained at Broadmoor Psychiatric Prison, his fate is unknown. Dennis Barrett was a troubled man, who sought to save a girl from a fate worse than death. 
only having witnessed unspeakable horrors. What he needed was saving from life. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello everyone, how are we all doing? It's been a while, isn't it? It's been a while, been a while. I would love to say, um, oh, it's been a while. I've been away sitting on my ass doing nothing. I've been very busy entertaining you with uh, um, my daily inches. Ooh, uh, hope you've enjoyed my daily inches. Ooh, ooh, cheeky, lovely. Um, let me just open, let me just open uh, a side door and let some air in. Because it's, it's not a hot day, but it's a warm day. And I would like some uh, some air. Oops, for some reason I've locked my side door. I don't know why. I don't know why. Uh, let's just do this. There we go. Open up that. Uh, oh. Nice hot day. Well, not hot day, just a warm day. Unfortunately, I've just opened the door and went oh, like that, just as a lady was walking past. So uh, I'm wondering whether... It, I think, I'm guessing that she probably thinks that I was probably saying that to her, whereas... As we all know, I only say four uh, to Eva. Obviously, that goes without saying. It's my job. It's my duty. Um, I think I'm going to have a herbally tea. Um, yeah, let's have a nice herbally tea. A Tailors of London, I believe. No, Tailors of... No, Drury it is. I don't know what flavour it is, but I'm going to have it. So that's that's all good. That's all good. Uh, what has been going on? It's been a while. Uh, I went off to America to go and see my sister. That was very good. Had good time there. Very nice. Uh, it was uh, 40 degrees plus every single effing day. So you could only do stuff up until about 12 o'clock and then you had to go indoors. Really weird being there because obviously we don't have air conditioning in this country really. Uh, but there it's like everywhere's air conditioned so you'd be outside with the 40 degree heat and then you go inside you go oh and it'd hit you really hard and you go oh shit and then you go back outside again and you go oh shit uh, changes in air was really weird um because i went to see uh all the um um the uh locations for the uh the assassination of jfk that was very good really nice to see Dealey plaza properly and not just photos smaller than i thought it always is but it's only when you're really there i think i think there's a lot of documentaries out there people doing stuff and doing all these designs but it's only it's only when you get there that you realize how many of these theories are utter bullshit you've got to be there you've got to stand there you've got to look at the positions which is what we did we stood in all the positions uh went to the the book depository which was interesting uh, we found a lovely na- lady called Miss Pat, who's uh, her mum ran the boarding house at Lee Harvey Oswald. 
um, uh, stayed at before and on the, the day of the uh, assassination itself. And that's where he came back to as well, which was really interesting. So we, we paid her for a, to sit down with her and have a two-hour chat with her. That was really interesting. Uh, so that was good. What else was good? Food. All of the food. All of the... Because I'm only used to, like, porridge for breakfast. I was picking out and all these... All these American breakfasts and uh, I was struggling my stomach was struggle- struggling on the first day uh, I made the mistake of having grits Jesus was it grits yeah it was grits and they were, people going oh it's a delicacy you have to try it. it was like wallpaper paste it was absolutely disgusting and nothing that you could put with it would make improve it until I went before we went to see Miss Pat I went to see this uh we went into this restaurant and they were like doing us uh, they, they were doing us a cold drink because it was a hot day i'm just gonna grab my my tea um and bear with bear with where's that did i put my tea bag in there there's a tea bag in there it's just like it looks like i've lost the uh the dunker with it yeah so we did the uh we went into the place and they, they were like oh you're, you're from england how are you enjoying america because uh, obviously you have to overpronounce uh, every syllable, uh, and I said, "Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm really enjoying this. I, I don't, I don't get grits. I think grits are disgusting." And I explained about the wallpaper paste, and then like a minute later, the chef came out and he, he went, "There you go, try that." I was like, "What's this?" And he was like, "That's grits." And instead of it being a soppy, horrible white thing, it was more like a kind of a polenta. So really, and I was like, "Why? Why are they serving shit when this this is delicious?" I said, "I could have this with every meal. This is this is beautiful." And he said, "I get my I get my uh, the, whether it's the grain or the oats or whatever it is for the grits. He gets he gets it shipped in from a specific place where you're meant to get it shipped from. Everywhere else in the cheapy restaurants, they use the pre-formatted stuff, which is just white and horrible and disgusting, and there's no flavor or texture. It's disgusting. So that was that was interesting." Um, Obviously, it's interesting to see flags everywhere. Lots of flags, lots of ridiculously sized flags. Like some flags that were like a hundred foot high. Whereas over here, you see flags and you just think, oh, racist. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was really weird. Really weird. Driving along the uh, George Bush Highway. There we go. Uh, just, just interesting to go to. Interesting to experience different life. So, I will be in because i haven't had a holiday in nine years so that was my holiday and i'm going to see my my dad and my stepmom in a, about a month in france which would be good so that's two holidays and i've just come back from naples as well i made stag do three holidays in a year this is amazing uh what else is going on obviously um uh in may uh, i ruptured my eye uh, so we're still dealing with the aftermath of that i've got kind of half vision in my left now uh, but it's doing better I, I go to see my specialist every two weeks he's had me on drugs since may i'm still on drugs for another two months so the drugs till october and then when the hole in the eye is healed and the excess water and the everything else has come out of the eye then they can decide what to do uh so doing all right doing all right uh yeah i i think uh, it turns out that when i had my month of bronchitis the coughing from the bronchitis caused me to rupture my eye so there you go uh well so i'm still on my diet since may so i'm doing good i'm down to my last notch on my belt i'm not flabby anymore which is good i'm trying to keep the weight off now so that's a hard thing to do um and this week i've been a savior um i found a phone on the towpath and uh it was a nice iphone so i i dried it off because it was all wet and then um uh, i put a notice on on the the bench outside and said look i've just found an iphone give me a call and someone didn't call that my number but they called their own number and i was in the coffee shop charging up their phone and they were like have you have you found a phone i was like yeah yeah i'm in this coffee shop come and find me and they did and they were very grateful and then the next day, one of my neighbours, his batteries on his on his boat went, and uh, I fixed my generator so I could fix his batteries. So there we go. It's two people have saved this week. Who's going to save me? Hopefully, Eva. Um, let's uh, a, a big thank you to uh, all the patrons, subscribers. So thank you so much to. Uh, everyone who subscribed obviously i've been away for a little while so there's a bit of a, a, a catch-up here so thank you to alison preston dave sampton beth richardson joan taylor dean lawrence thomas fowder i hope i got that correct 
Emine Ismail DeSantis, DeSantis, I knew I'd get that one wrong, uh, Heather Ketton and Chris Wooding. So thank you, Alison, Dave, Beth, Joan, Dean, Thomas, Emine, Heather and Chris. So thank you for that, everyone. Thank you for becoming uh, patron subscribers. It's very much appreciated. Lots of goodies on there. Uh, um, lots of exclusive stuff that I don't share everyone everywhere else. You get a lot of podcasters who do Patreon exclusives and then like a day later, they just release it elsewhere. I have a lot, all the crime scene photos. I do a lot of special stuff that only goes on there and will stay on there. Uh, so yeah, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for Stuart, Stuart Barstow for your very kind donation to the murder mile. Uh, uh, I was going to say keep Michael fat campaign, but basically this money is being spent on uh, carrots at the moment. Uh, cause I'm trying to keep my weight off. So thank you very much for that. Um, also, uh, uh, Paul Smith, who's a uh, Murder Mile listener, uh, got in touch with me and said, would you mind doing a little advert on uh, Murder Mile? And I said, yeah, not a problem at all. Uh, do you know what? If you've got, if you've got like, not big businesses, you know, fuck them. Um, they, they, they can, they can pay me for this, but, uh, little businesses, you've got like a personal thing that you do and you'd kind of, uh, you just want a bit of exposure on it. Yeah. Just let me know. I'm happy to, happy to post a little freebie thing on here. So Paul wrote, uh, ever wanted to own an artwork that doesn't cost the world like your favorite singer, movie star, or a portrait of a family member, please visit www.adroitcreations.co.uk that's a-d-r-o-i-t creations c-r-e-a-t-i-o-n-s dot co.uk i'll put a link in the show notes uh, for hand painted canvas arts canvas clocks framed artworks at affordable prices uk and delivery uh, delivery i can barely say the word delivery adroit creations discover excellence so there you go check out adroit creations for your uh, hand painted artwork there we go uh let's do some quiz questions then we'll dive into some extra stuff to do with this episode so questioned answers will come at the end don't forget uh and don't forget i haven't edited this episode yet so i might edit some of this out i think this episode might need a couple of minutes chopped out so there we go uh, question number one in what irish city was dennis born Question number two, how many brothers and sisters did he have? Question number three, where did he get his naval training? And obviously that's training as in the Royal Navy, not his belly button. Ha ha ha, you're so funny. Question number four, what size in length was the HMS Hermes? Question number five, what was Operation Ironclad? Question number six, what age was Dennis uh, when the HMS Hermes sunk? Question number seven, in which dockyard did he work as an electrician? Question number eight, he was a porter at what restaurant? Question number nine, on what street did Dennis and Kathleen first meet? And question number 10, what did Dennis buy her at a chemist's in Kilburn? So there we go. Let's dive into some uh, extra stuff on this. Uh, what I'll do is because um, pretty much everything at the start, I thought we've covered that kind of fully. So we'll we'll, we'll dive into kind of the uh, the murder and, and the, the investigation. This was the whole thing that I'd, that I'd written up. I've written up all the information about this but in the end i just felt we needed to just get to the end quicker so uh um the motive so his motive for murder he told the prison psychiatrist this was at brixton prison the resemblance between my wife and kathleen is remarkable both both physically and in her ma mannerisms um he told the psychiatrist i urged her to give up the game but she refused to i thought of her life her life as a prostitute um so this is what he's saying is his motive as to why he killed her. He was trying to save her from uh, a fate worse than death, as I've uh, phrased it in here. Uh, during the, he said, during the time I had known Kathleen, I'd become somewhat attached to her and suggested to her that she come off the game. When we got into my room, I again spoke to her about giving up the game. And then as we lay in bed, something came over me all of a sudden and I realised I couldn't have this girl living with me and I thought of my wife. She didn't seem to want to come off the game. She said, he said, we were very friendly. We talked for a while. I kissed her. And then 
uh, we went off to sleep. Now, with his story, his one version of his story is that they were talking and then he attacked her, and the other one is he woke up and found himself strangling her. So we don't really know what happened. Um, uh, as he said, uh, the next thing I remember, I was on the floor. I asked the girl what we were doing, but she did not answer. I cannot say for absolute certain, but I believe my hands were at her throat. Getting no answer, I shook her. I felt her heart and pulse. Her face was terribly blue, and I realised she was dead. You tend to get these a lot in these stories that people talk about crimes of passion, and then they go, oh, suddenly I found myself with a, my fingers around her throat, and you just go, yeah, right. I mean, I know it could be a part of the trauma thing, but another part of it could be that they just don't want to admit that they consciously murdered someone. It's kind of better to say, I, it just happened. I just, I don't know what happened. Um, oh, I'm glad the, the police filed, because when, when you look at the, the press reporting on this, there's not a lot of press reporting, but there's bits. A, they get the 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 house number wrong. In another one, they get the street name wrong. Uh, and in this one, they say uh, her face was badly battered. She would all she was almost recognisable. Um, there weren't actually any bruises to her face. Uh, there were bruises around her neck where he'd constricted her, and an old one um, uh, to her left eye, um, which is oh no, we won't say that. Um, um, uh, what else is there? Uh, he said, I tried to put her in the cupboard, uh, but I couldn't. So I put her back on the bed and covered her up with bedclothes. Uh, he tried to put... Uh, it, it, it's uncertain why he um, tried to put her in the cupboard. It seems kind of a... I think it's just panic, isn't it? It's a ridiculous thing where it's like, I need to hide or I'll put her in the cupboard. And then, as we've seen with many people before, there's that really weird thing that they do where they've murdered someone and then... They put the, the bedclothes over them. They put the pillow under their head. Almost as if that kind of makes it better. It's very weird. Um, so 10am uh, in the morning. So at 7 o'clock in the morning. I took this out of the episode. 7.30 in the morning. He went down. He pushed a note under the door of uh, the landlady. Herter. Um, in his handwriting. And it said, please don't disturb me until 11 o'clock. At 10am. Uh he said he stayed in the room i went downstairs and spoke to the landlady and told her i had broken the rules by bringing a girl back into the room i told her i was going to fetch a taxi and i would be back i left the house and did not go back again Th this evening i rang scotland yard and told them where i could be found i want to tell you i had nothing to do with kathleen's black eye she already had that when i met her for the first time on tuesday obviously the autopsy would confirm this um uh, as mentioned, 3.45pm, uh, the landlady, she was expecting um, Kathleen to have been gone after a couple of minutes. This was a couple of hours by now. So about 3.45, she looked back in. Um, the landlady said uh, she had not moved. Um, Mrs. De Rocca, uh, who came in, um, she couldn't hear any breathing. They tried to rouse the girl, but with no joy. And when they touched her, they found that she was cold. So therefore, they called the police. Um, Dennis went to meet his brother. His brother lived locally, uh, but was working in a hotel on Golden Square in Soho at the time. Um, called his brother. Um, they had a bit of a fractious relationship. So his brother Edward was grumbling at him for disturbing him while he was at work. His, Dennis said, I didn't come here for that. I want to tell you something. Um, I've done a girl in. Edward didn't believe him. Dennis said, fine, I'll meet you tonight and I'll prove it. Uh, they parted ways and then they later met at the Hero Pub in Maidavale, which is still there today. It's at 55 Charlin Road, so not too far away from the house. I took this out of the episode because it slows it all down. Um, they met in the pub. They had a couple of drinks. Um, Dennis was writing in the diary and then he wrote, he, he said to his brother, here, keep that. And he handed over the diary of which he'd noted um, meeting Kathleen and killing her. But also, that, don't forget, this is kind of his will. He's given away his personal belongings. Um, they did go to another pub after that. They went to quite a few pubs. Uh, they went to the Prince Alfred pub at 5 Formosa Road. It's still there today, and that was just around the corner. Uh, there they met their third brother, William. 
Dennis admitted to William he had killed a girl. He said, I have blued a girl. That was his exact words. Uh, William told Dennis to call the police. Uh, so they went to um, William's address. He was at 154 Shireland Road, so just, just up the road. And they both uh, called Scotland Yard from a little phone box. Um, PC Donald Milburn arrived at 4.07pm and saw the body. She was naked and covered in bedclothes. Uh, Dr. Ritchie arrived and declared life is extinct at 4.30pm. He said the girl was lying naked in a divan bed uh, on the left-hand side with her legs bent up. There was a trickle of blood coming from the left-hand side of her mouth and her left eye appeared bruised. There was bruising to the right-hand side of her neck adjacent to the windpipe. Uh, there's another bit there, but we'll dive into that in a bit. Uh, he said uh, she had been dead for 12 to 24 hours. That was kind of an early estimate. Uh, her clothes were found on the back of the armchair, suggesting she'd undressed herself. Her bag was found, but it yielded no information. Uh, a knife was found in the room, but uh, this hadn't been used. Uh, Superintendent Cheryl of the fingerprint lab, lab was called in and obviously they found uh, fingerprints in the room and Kathleen's handbag, which was fastened with a white tape. Uh, fluids found. Uh, blood group A was found. That's Kathleen's. Uh, and sperm was found inside her vagina. So they'd had sex, unprotected sex. Uh, bed clothes were halfway up to her head. No body was exposed. The room was not in any disorder. Um... Uh, there was some discoloured water on the floor from a bucket, uh, and but they said this was a slight spillage. It was, this was not fully explained in the uh, in the thing, and there was no no signs of a kind of uh, a struggle. Uh, so his thing of that they struggled on the floor that may not be true. He may have he may have just attacked her while she was asleep in bed. Uh, autopsy conducted by Doctor Donald Tear. A uh, death was by manual strangulation. Uh, he conducted it at 9.10pm uh, that night uh, at Paddington Mortuary. She was lying on her left-hand side, her knees drawn up to her, her right arm folded over her chest. Rigor, rigor mortis was almost fixed and the body felt cold. He reckoned she'd been dead 12 to 16 hours. Uh, yeah, nearer 16. Um fading uh faded bruising around the left eye that was clearly an old injury uh three abrasions on the left hand side of her neck one inch apart so that's the hand grip and the second a thumb at the rear of the neck suggesting manual strangulation followed by cres crescent shaped marks these are the fingerprints digging in uh he said a lot of pressure was used there were two small ab abrasions below the hair, her hairline suggesting she had awoken and was struggling to fight him off. So a little bit of a struggle there, but not a lot. Her tongue was bitten and her teeth were clenched. So uh, she'd clearly woken up. He hadn't knocked her unconscious and strangled her. He strangled her and she woke up. There were pressure marks over both shoulders, suggesting he had probably held her down. Uh, all this could have been when he moved the body. So we're still not too sure about that. There was, uh, there was also marks on her back where he'd moved her across the floor, then into the cupboard, and then back into the bed. Uh, slight hemorrhage into the voice box and windpipe, to be expected. No disease or natural death. Uh, her stomach was empty. Uh, it's said that she hadn't eaten in at least a day or two. Uh, and this was one that uh, was picked up upon. Uh, there was blood about the vagina and anus. Um, now when you initially look at that in the kind of the autopsy report you go oh shit um did he kill her and then did he rape her while she was uh, unconscious in bed but the pathologist said so there's a boat going past it's what i have to put, put up with when i'm recording the boat went past earlier on it might i might make it into the episode because i might put it in as something because the sound of the engine was quite good but i had to wait five minutes because it went past really slowly and had a And now you hear that? My favourite noise? Little bastards. Little bastards. I hate kids. Anyway, uh, so the blood uh, um, about the anus and vagina. Um, it, it looks kind of horrific when you kind of see it written that way. But uh, the pathologist said uh, there was no great degree of violence appeared to have been exercised. 
Um, what it's most likely is that he said that the blood in the vagina was from a, from the natural erosion at the neck of the womb, and therefore because she was lying that way, therefore the blood kind of came out and went into the anus. There you go. You needed to know that, didn't you? And I'm sure if you're listening to this while having your your breakfast, you're sitting there eating cornflakes. You're like, oh great, now I know about blood going uh, into an anus. Lovely. Um, as mentioned, he gave himself up at about eleven thirty p.m. He telephoned Scotland Yard. Uh, they said they'd come come and meet him outside. I think it was the post office on Shireland Road at eleven forty-five p.m. Um, he was standing there waiting. He'd already given a description of himself. So when they turned up, there was a man there, and he just went, Are "You Dennis Barrett? Barrett? Yeah, I won't want to write. I've got a lot big story to tell you." Uh, they took him to Harrow Road Police Station, which is literally just around the corner. He'd got his ID on him, proving who he was. They said, "We're going to make inquiries into the death of a girl found in your room at Two Shireland Road," and he said, "I did it. Oh yes, I admit it." Uh, if you've got time to listen to me, I've got a very long story to tell you, and it starts off with my wife. Uh, inquest opened on Friday the 14th of October 1949 at Westminster Coroner's Court. Uh, he was there, he stood, confirmed his name as you're meant to do. Um, uh, and then 23rd of December, the inquest was officially closed. And I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's everything, folks. Because uh, the court case was pretty much was very standard, as mentioned in the episode. You know, uh, he didn't want to be seen as insane, um, but when but when obviously the, uh, there was two psychiatrists who were there. One said he was fit to stand trial, but the other one said he was suffering some form of uh, schizophrenia. Although it's interesting, no one seems to say. Uh, Obviously, when you look at him, when you look at the fact he's suffering from night terrors, he's got mood disorder. He's, they say he's like a statue sometimes. That's very much kind of um, PTSD there. But obviously, they don't have a word for PTSD there. They they had shell shock, but whether this was a wartime thing or a post wartime thing, maybe they just didn't want to attribute heroics to something like ptsd maybe they just wanted to give it another name and just said well it's some kind of schizophrenia we don't know or maybe he did have schizophrenia we don't know <sighs> what a happy story um so um yeah let's do the quiz questions uh and then i can go and put this really lethal horrible stuff into my eye uh which is all lovely it, it draws out excess water out of the eye oh it really stings uh question number one okay in what irish city was he born Cork. Question number two. How many brothers and sisters did he have? He had five. Uh, he was one of six. So he had uh, four brothers and one sister. Question number three. Where did he get his naval training? It was at the Naval School in Sheerness. Question number four. What length, what size in length was HMS Hermes? It was uh, 600 feet. Question number five, what was Operation Ironclad? It was the British invasion of Madagascar. Question number six, what age was Dennis when the HMS Hermes sunk? He was 20. I think it's hard to take that on board, isn't he? But he's basically just a boy when this happens. Question number seven, in which dockyard did he work as an electrician? At the Royal Victoria Docks. Question number eight, he was a kitchen porter at what restaurant? It was Jay Lyons and Co. in Marble Arch. So that's the same place where the Blackout Ripper picked up some victims. Uh, question number nine. On what street did Dennis and Kathleen first meet? It was Randolph Avenue. And question number ten. What did Dennis buy her at a chemist's in Kilburn? For her black eye, it was, of course, an eye patch. So there we go, folks. There we go. That's me done. Hope you enjoyed oh, a, a moorhen just having a bit of a flitty outside. So there we go. Hope you enjoyed that, folks. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow. I'm not going to be back tomorrow. That'd be ridiculous. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Uh, hope you enjoyed this one. And there's uh, lots more to come. We're going to do a run of basically one parters and then we end with a nice little three parters. There's no biggies coming up, just uh, little ones to take us up to Christmas. So. Have yourself a good week, folks. Stay safe, be good, and thank you for listening to and supporting the show. Bye-bye. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.